Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. If you've got a Bible with you, would you grab it, maybe on your phone or something like that? I want to look at it and open up to Luke, Luke chapter 24. I want to spend a little bit of time looking at what... What, face value is actually a slightly random story. It's, it's, it's sandwiched in between two resurrection stories right at the end of uh, these breathtaking stories where Jesus is risen from the dead. And then there's this slightly random story. So I want, I want to jump in there. But before I do, I just want to tell a story, just maybe just to set things up today. Um, when I first became a Christian, I became a Christian right at the beginning of uni. I'm from Melbourne, so I was at Monash University um, studying an arts degree. And I don't know whether you've ever had the privilege of um, of of helping one of your friends or family members put their trust in Jesus. I don't know whether you've ever had the, the privilege and the joy of that. But the first person that I ever uh, had the opportunity to be able to uh, help discover Jesus for themselves was, was a guy named Albie at, um, at, at, at university. And you might go, why was he, why, why was he called Albie? Um, well, he was six foot four tall and six foot ten wide. So I would call him whatever he wanted to be called. And I remember we would, every uh, group of us, um, and we were baby Christians ourselves, but we would meet at six o'clock in the dark at the Monash University Religious Centre, and we would, at 6am on a Tuesday, every Tuesday, we would pray our guts out for our friends and family to put their trust in Jesus, and we would pray our guts out. And at the end of first semester, uh, I'd been journeying with Albie, and Albie put his trust in Jesus, and it was awesome. It was so amazing. And, 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 he, and, and in, in after so we, we would catch up and after he'd put his trust in, in Jesus, uh, we, would, um, we would meet and, and to catch up and just sort of help him ground his, ground his faith, yeah? And he said to me one day, he goes, hey, Tim, um, I hear you guys, uh, you guys pray on, uh, on, um, on Tuesday mornings, like at the religious centre at 6 a.m. in the dark. I said, yes. He goes, can I come? I went, 100% you can come. So he joined. Now, I don't know, what, I'm sure this is not the case in the, uh, in, the, in the Pentecostal world, but in the Baptist world, there's praying out loud is sometimes for people a thing. Yeah? So be patient with us. We'll catch up eventually. Anyway, I don't know if it's a thing for you. If it's a thing for you, like, that's cool. It's, but Albie, for the first, few, first couple of months, he, like, <laughs> enormous Albie, who basically seemed to fill half the room, uh, he didn't say anything. And then came the day when he debuted in prayer out loud. And I'll never forget it because we, we, we joined in that little circle and we're praying, it's dark, it's cold, it's Melbourne, and we go, and we go, and then we just hear, and it seemed to come from the heavens, but came from about six foot four up, but it, and it goes, and, he go, and we hear, oh, Lord. And he goes, pour down your spirit. Now, can I just say, that's a very impressive debut prayer, wouldn't you say? Like, that's pretty good. So, we, so of course, he's, he's, he's just kicking off his prayer, his public prayer life. So we go, amen. Like, yes, Lord, amen. Pour, pour down your spirit. And clearly he enjoyed the feedback because he immediately then goes, oh, Lord, pour down your fire. Now, I used to be an English teacher, so prevent me for a nerd comment. That's metaphor. I'm going, and that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Like his, his, his public prayer life is like 
probably about a minute and a half old, and he's already in metaphor. Like, and so we go, yes, Lord, pour down your fire. Amen. Great praying. Amen, Lord. And then he goes, oh, Lord, burn us. <laughs> now, it's his first prayer. It's like debut. So give him a bit of slack, right? Give him a little bit of rope. So we go, amen, figuratively speaking, Lord. <laughs> like in a broad, broad sense, spiritually, yeah, spiritually burn us. Amen, 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 Lord. He's doing well first time. And then he prayed this. He goes, oh, Lord, torture us. <laughs> no, 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 no. Torture Albie, Lord, torture Albie. <laughs> Now, I'll tell you that story. I love it because it's fun. It's fun. And I just, I, I was still my friend. And it, uh, it's, it's just, but here's the challenge. I've been a Christian for 30 over years. And for the longest time, stories like that became increasingly historical in my life. And I, I'm like, God's good and church is good. But particularly around people putting their trust in Jesus, those stories seem way too far, far in between. And I want to talk a little bit um, today about us sharing our faith, us discipling our friends towards faith in Jesus and to live by faith in Jesus. And, and, but I don't know where you sit in that with, with regards to sharing your faith. If you're a talented maverick evangelist like, and you, seem, you have the God-given ability to walk into a crowded room of non-Christians and completely ignore all social cues... And evangelise to your heart's content. God bless you. We sort, of, we sort of wish we were you. But if maybe you are a little awkward in that space, maybe you feel like you don't know enough, you're not good enough, like it's, you're a bit disappointed or frustrated in that space, I want to talk to you today. Because one of the great joys of the last 15 years or so in my life is that I've discovered that everybody gets to be a part of this thing called sharing our faith. My, 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 my paraphrase of the Great Commission, you know, go into the world and make disciples of all nations, my paraphrase, everybody gets to play. You don't have to have a personality transplant plant to be and bring good news. You are uniquely designed and created. You are uniquely designed and placed. And you get to be able to find your voice and your place in being and bringing good news. Now, in the next few minutes, I'm probably going to be enthusiastic at various points. Please don't read my enthusiasm for thinking that I'm an extrovert. I'm an introvert who's not a natural-born evangelist, who's not a natural-born social activist, who's married to an introvert. I don't know what that's like in Tamworth, but where I come from, that's the evil quadrilla of sucking at evangelism. <laughs> so I don't know whether you think you suck at evangelism, but if you do, I want to talk a little bit with you today because it doesn't have to be that way. And there's this awesome story sandwiched between two resurrection stories. And it's the story of these two guys who are on this road to a place called Emmaus. And the thing about Emmaus is, this is the first time Emmaus is mentioned in the Bible. 
It's, it's a suburb 10 kilometres from downtown Jerusalem that no one's mentioned up until this point and it's never mentioned again. So I don't know whether you feel like God passes you by or whether you feel like you know, you're not the, the centre of what God's doing in and around Tamworth. If that's you, I want to talk to you because this story has just is absolutely brilliant in the key, in some of the key principles of what it means for us to be and bring good news to the people we love, the people we work with, the people we're at school and uni with. Yeah. So Luke chapter 24, verse 13, starts like this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. They don't believe in what's happened, but they're talking about it. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Push pause there. Really important principle if we're going to be and bring good news. Because we're not just called to tell people about Jesus. We're called to be and bring good news. And if we're going to do that, what we need to, what we need to understand is this. Our relationships with the people in our worlds are mission critical to their spiritual journey, not optional extras. And when I say they're mission critical, it doesn't require you to be practically perfect in every way. That would make you Mary Poppins. You don't have to be Mary Poppins. You, You just need to be you and your relationship. Jesus, isn't it fascinating what Jesus doesn't do here? Like it's the resurrected Christ. He doesn't turn up and go, what I think would be the most logical thing to say at this point, hi, it's me. But here's the thing. He wants to help them discover faith. And faith is always discovered. You can give people facts, but we can only help people discover faith. And that's what Jesus is going to do here. Like, really, you could have cut to, cut to the chase. He could have just given them the basic information. But here's the thing. If it was only about information, Jesus could have invented email and emailed all of us, and it would have been done. It's about relationship, 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 which I know is like, duh, obvious, <laughs> but I'm from the communist state of Victoria, so you've got to give me some slack. So Jesus himself walked along with them. Your relationship with people is everything. And then it says this in verse 16, but they were kept from recognising him. Now, again, super important principle. God is in charge here. If we're going to be and bring good news, if we're going to help our friends discover Jesus for themselves, which by the way, they're designed to do because they're made in the image of God. If we're going to help our friends discover Jesus for themselves, we've got to realise God is in charge of the process, not you and me. And that's important because sometimes, I don't know what it's been like sharing your faith or talking about Jesus or talking about the gospel, but it's like, you know that feeling? I feel obliged, I've got to get it. And we get this feeling, I've got to get it right. We act, and we mean well, but we act like it's all dependent on us. What if someone asks me something I don't know? (laughs) Just say, I don't know. The sun will rise tomorrow. I I promise you. But it's like we we mean well, but we act 
Like someone's salvation is dependent on us getting it right. Can I just say, I'm sure you're lovely. You're not that lovely. And honestly, if someone's salvation is dependent on you getting it right, the technical term for that is they are stuffed. It comes, it comes from the Greek. <laughs> Stuffos. <laughs> it's, God's in charge. Here's, here's what we will discover. God is already at work in our world. We don't have to get him to work. He's already at work. What we need to do is learn how, how, do, we, how do we pay attention and be cooperative. And the beautiful thing about the way Jesus made disciples was he always intended for you and me to be able to do it exactly how he did it. That's why this story is in the Bible. Because what Jesus is doing here is not rocket science. We so over-engineer and overthink so many things in life. But Jesus makes so much of life simple. Doesn't make it easy. But he makes so much of life simple. So God's in charge of the process. God is already at work. And, you, and you'll, hear, um, uh, you, you'll hear people talking about um, some of the teaching Jesus does in Luke chapter 10. He talks about people of peace. Uh, people who God's already at work with. So the story continues, verse 17. And then he asked them, Jesus, then Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, I love this, <laughs> he's the resurrected Christ and Cleopas is giving him massive attitude. <laughs> are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> My paraphrase, are you an idiot? <laughs> but give him some grace, he doesn't realise it's the resurrected Christ at this point. He's going to feel very awkward in just a moment. But isn't it fascinating, Jesus, what's the first thing Jesus does here? It's not rocket science. He asks them a question. He doesn't think of something clever to say, which is the exact opposite to how I think I should share my faith. The pressure's on, I've got to say. And here's the thing, I don't know what it's like in Tamworth, but down in Victoria, I tell you, people think this is the gold standard of evangelism. Downloading the entire doctrine of substitutionary atonement in one go and all four spiritual laws in one go and getting a decision on the spot. And if you can't do that, there's something wrong with you. That's being and bringing good news. That's not being and bringing good news. That is trauma. It's trauma for you. And it's trauma for your victim. I mean your client. I mean your friend. <laughs> One of my friends, we were talking about God's already at work. And look for people at peace. You know, just, just like relax and look for where God's already at work. And my, my mate goes, he goes, so am I allowed to street preach? And I went, well, well yeah. I'm not saying don't street preach. But, and he said, well, I said, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. He goes, well, am I, like, can I... And I said to him, is like God prompting you to street preach? Like the Holy Spirit prompting you? And he went, well, I don't think so. And I went, oh. I said, well, let me put it like this. If you, 
if the Holy Spirit prompts you to go street preaching, I will drive you down to Flinders Street. I don't know if you've ever been to Melbourne, but that's, that's like the big train station in the centre of town where all the street preachers street preach. Um, I said, I will drive you there, and while you're street preaching, I will hand out tracts. But if I find you down at Flinders Street street preaching, and the Holy Spirit has not prompted you to do it, I will kill you. <laughs> He's my friend. And I've got my tongue firmly stuck in my cheek. But my point is, do what the Lord's prompting you to do. Don't feel like you have to... You've got to be in... The call is to be and bring good news. And if we're traumatised and, and fueled by obligation, guilt and inadequacy, <laughs> I found it quite hard to be and bring good news when I'm fueled by guilt, incompetence and second-guessing myself. Yeah? So the story continues. Verse 19, what things, he asked. He still hasn't said anything. He's still asking questions. Why? Because he wants to help them discover faith, not just get the facts straight. Then it says this, what things, he asked. Now, listen to this for an answer. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to be redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't, get, didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus." Just quietly, that's a very impressive answer, don't you think? Like, seriously, if it was just about getting the facts straight, if it was just about getting the information right, that smashes it out of the park. My answer would have gone something like this. Um, I'm not really sure. But here's the thing. It's not just them getting the facts straight. Jesus wants them to help discover faith for themselves. Because he's not just wanting them to take one moment where they make a decision. Of course we make a decision to put our trust in Jesus. But that's a moment in time, a profoundly important, mission-critical moment in time of a lifelong journey of following Jesus. (laughs) And so verse 25 continues, And Jesus said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Isn't that fascinating? At that moment, my Baptist heritage kicks in and I can relax. Because explained makes me think, oh, finally. Finally, we've got to the expert delivering a 45-minute monologue uninterrupted because as we all know the road to glory is paved with 45 minute speeches and sermons uninterrupted except here's the thing about that word explained that's a result word not a method word how you explain is not the issue it's whether people at the end of that process whether they understand the words most often used in the new testament to talk about interpreting tongues The issue is not how you interpret the tongues. The issue is that people understand what was said afterwards. And the whole nature of this conversation and this walk on the road to Emmaus is conversation, not lecture. 
if you feel like you have to have something smart or clever to say, you can't avoid the pressure, but use the pressure for good. Don't let it force you to try and think of something clever. Use it to ask a good question. And a good question is simply this. It's a question that can't be answered with yes or no and doesn't start with the word why. Because why very, very often feels like an accusation. And I think we're done, hopefully, with the church just accusing people. The most important quality, if we are going to disciple our friends towards faith, and I use that language deliberately, for the longest time we'd turn discipleship into what you do with Christians. But the, the Great Commission says go into the world and make disciples of all nations. Embedded it in is in that is the idea we disciple people towards faith and to live by faith and to become disciple makers themselves. Because people are designed for a relationship with God all along life's journey. The story then continues and says this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. Now, pay attention to this word he repeats here that's really important. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's that word, that word stay. Stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so they went to stay with him. I don't know how much you've read the book of Luke and the book of Acts, but Luke is the king of including the details and only the details he wants us to pay attention to. He doesn't write an edited highlight of Jesus' life. It's not like he's doing a Facebook feed. You know, the edited highlights that makes our lives so glamorous and amazing. And we either, we either read someone else's social media feed and either, well, my wife, if she reads somebody else's glorious social feed, she feels bad about herself because she's comparing. I just feel angry and judgmental that they're, that they're pretending to be something that they're not. Anyway, that's probably my character issue, but let's, but let's not talk about that. Luke doesn't do that. His agenda in the book of Acts is this, what Jesus started. The book, his agenda in the book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do through the apostles. The reason there's two books is because the implication is when you've read both of them, what's he going to do through you? It's not edited highlights. It's what is he going to do. The, agenda, the geographic agenda of the book of Luke is Galilee and Judea. And Jerusalem. The geographic agenda in the book of Acts is Judea, Samaria, and uh, Turkey, Greece, and Italy. And the implication is geographic agenda is what's his geographic agenda for Tamworth, and Ganadar, yeah. and Bendemir, yeah. and Armadale, and Gyra. Yeah. Everybody gets to play, people. Everybody gets to play. And this language here of stay with us is the language that Jesus says, when you find a person, in Luke 10, he says, when you find a person of peace, stay with them. That language there, the people of peace, is, it's language for the people who God's already at work with. And what Jesus says is this, they're not hard to find. It's not, oh Lord, speak unto me from thy cloud and neon signs. Like I'm cool with clouds and neon signs. But these are the three signs, all the way through the Gospels and the book of Acts. These are the three signs of God being at work in someone who doesn't know Jesus. They like you, they listen to you, and they serve you. Those three things. Woman at a well, Gadarene demoniac, um, um, 
Lydia, who's from Thyatira in the book of Acts, Cornelius, all had the same. Ethiopian eunuch, they all have the same qualities. They like, listen and serve. And here's the thing. There are people of peace in your world. And even as I say that, oh my goodness, that's a person who likes me. What does that mean? They like you. They like you. They like you. They listen to you. They listen to you. And not just about religious stuff. They listen to you about stuff. They'll listen to you about football. They'll listen to you about life. So they like you, listen to you, and they serve. They want to serve you. And Jesus basically says this, love and serve everyone and find the people of peace. These two people on the road to Emmaus are people of peace. Jesus is doing exactly the same way he wants us to do it. Not everyone and anyone. Love and serve everyone, but find the people of peace. And that is fascinating. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognised him. The hero of this story is the Holy Spirit. He opens because Jesus cooperated with what he was already doing. And Jesus disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Isn't it fascinating? So much briefer than the statement they made before with all the facts. Now it's a statement of faith. And that statement of faith will turn the world upside down. I mean that the good news of Jesus reaches the ends of the earth, which, frankly, is Melbourne. So, and it's Tamworth on the way to Melbourne. <laughs> but here's interesting, isn't it? Didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? It's interesting. In this story, there's two heroes, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And I just, in the next couple of minutes, I just want to share with you the simplest way I have discovered as a non-natural at sharing my faith, the simplest way I know to disciple someone towards faith in Jesus that lets the Word of God and the Spirit of God do the work rather than feeling like I have to be an expert. In our church, we call it Discovery Bible Method. Yeah? And it's simply got four little Pieces. It's not magic bullet. Don't pounce on people at a shopping centre with it. <laughs> Find people at peace. And this is the question. When I feel like I found somebody who likes me, listens to me and serves me, one of my friends. I'm thinking about one of my mates, one of my mates Gavin. <laughs> Catholic background, like Catholic sacred. That's not a crack at the Catholics. So just Catholic sake. Um, uh, went to a Catholic school, knew the Catholic, Catholic traditions and stuff, but not, not, hadn't had any, anything to do with faith. And I remember asking him, I said, hey, Gav, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. Which sounds like a stupid question to ask. Someone who grew up in church and had sort of said, no, that's not for me. But you see, he liked me, listened to me and served me. And you know what Gav said? Yes. I almost fell off my chair when he said yes. But also I wasn't surprised because I wasn't put off by his background I was paying attention to like, listen, and serve. 
And then what we would do was we would meet together. We would work our way through the Gospel of Mark, just story at a time. And we would basically do four things. We caught up every week or so, and we would do the same simple pattern every time. First thing we would do is read a passage of Scripture. We just read a story from the Gospel of Mark. And we, I would read it in one version, and he would read it in a different version. Pretty simple, huh? Not rocket science. You're going to be underwhelmed by what I say. Read it. Then what we would do is we, each time we met, we would take turns in retelling the story in our own words. Now, the first time through, I did it. The second time through, he did it. Because when I asked the question, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with, what I didn't ask was, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible at. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible to. I'm looking for, I didn't ask them, ask Gav. I didn't say, I'm looking for someone to supervise their Bible reading. I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. So there's no power imbalance. We are co-journeyers in life. My role is not to be an expert. My role is to be a servant who's a friend, who's a guide. So we read it the first time through. I retold it. I didn't explain it. I retold it. I'm going to let the Word of God do the work. Not my brilliant exegetical teaching anointing. Ish. <laughs> and, so I, and at the end I went, how did I go? Did I miss anything? And he went, no, that's good. And I said, so you do it next time? And he went, oh, yeah, okay. Because the way I explained it, I wanted his reaction to be, oh, I could do that. So read it, retell it. Third, third, they all start with R, by the way. Sorry about that. Uh, but... Alliteration is both annoying and easy to remember. Read it, retell it, then reflect on it. What's one thing you can do? What, what, sorry, what's one thing that stood out? And li- literally, what is one thing that stood out? It's, I'm not fishing for the right answer. What's one thing that stood out? So read, retell, reflect. What's one thing that stood out? And then the final one is respond. And there's two questions there. One is, what's one, with the thing that stood out, what's one thing you can do? That's really important because you know what that is? That's the obedience question. And here's the fascinating thing. Every person, and I'm not like a walking revival factory, but, but, but each person that I've, I've discipled towards faith, this simple way, but when they put their trust in Jesus, they already know how to hear God for themselves through the Bible and obey him. So they don't need convincing to you know, upgrade to obedience that they add to their Christian faith. <laughs> So that's the obedience. What's one thing you can do? And some people have said to me, oh, you can't ask a non-Christian to, 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 to do something about what the Bible says. And I go, I go well, with respect, I asked them to read the Bible with me and they said yes. I'm sorry, the gloves are off. <laughs> the weird question's not, what's one thing you can do? The weird question is, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with. I don't know whether you'd be interested. That's the weird question. Like, let's just get, but what about heresy? You know, if you're asking a non-Christian to, 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 to read the Bible and what's one thing that stands out to them, what about heresy? Let's go, yeah, okay, well, I understand, but with res- I'm happy to talk about that, but just so long as we can agree, it's more heretical for a non-Christian to not, to not read the Bible with a non-Christian. That's more heretical. Like, and of all the heretical dangers in the world, non-Christians reading the Bible is not really at the top of the pile. I'm from Victoria. I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Not political comment. <laughs> so we read it, we retell it, we reflect on it, we respond to it. It's one thing you can do. That's the obedience question. And then the second question is this, who can you share that with this week? 
what you've learned. And that's the multiplication question. Which means embedded in someone's discipleship journey from the beginning is both obedience and passing it on so others discover Jesus, not just keeping it for ourselves. It's so funny because when Gav, when Gav would introduce me to his mates, <laughs> he'd go, now, this is Tim. He's my priest. I'm a Baptist. We don't have priests. So I'd go, at the beginning, I'd go, I'm a life coach. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a community leader. I'm a, I tie myself up in knots trying to go, come up with gobbledygook. And then I realised priest was a good word for him. It wasn't a synonym for predator or anything. It was a good word for him. Who am I to judge his use of a word? So I went, hi, I'm, I'm Tim, I'm, I'm Gav's priest. Okay. And, and he didn't call it Discovery Bible Method, he called it catechism. <laughs> hi, I'm Tim, yeah, I'm, I'm Gav's priest, we do catechism together. Can I lose my Baptist credentials from this? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> you know what I mean. But I was just helping him discover Jesus for himself. And he's put his trust in Jesus. They said, oh, I was going to say, they said, if you're talking rubbish, we'll turn you off. <laughs> and they obviously feel guilty about it. No, the joke, joke, joke. It doesn't take a particular kind of person to disciple people towards faith. Over COVID, I discipled my 80-year-old aunt to faith in Jesus. My dad's only sister. She is a, a signed-up member of the Victorian Labor Party. One of the, her heroes in life is a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. His name is Dan Andrews. She says, I love Dan Andrews, Tim. I said, yeah, I know, I know, Caroline, I know you love him. She goes, yeah, but he needs to move a bit to the left. <laughs> not a political comment. I'm not sure there's much room to the left, just to be fair. But one day, as she was starting to act like a person of peace, like, listen and serve me, I was chatting about with my wife about it, and she said, and Sarah went, are you going to ask her to read the Bible with you? And I went, yes, I think I am. Now, at the moment that she, and so I asked her, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with, I don't know whether you'd be interested. She said, yes. How cool is that, eh? At the time, if, I was to, if she was to have described what she thought about Jesus, she would have said he's a mixture between Karl Marx, because he's a communist, and the Easter Bunny, because he doesn't exist. But here's the thing, I'd learned, and I've learned not to get distracted by people's misunderstandings. But look for the signs, like, listen and serve. So I asked her, and we again, we walked our way through the Gospel of Mark. She put her trust in Jesus. Not the next day, 12 months later. But you see, I'm discipling her towards faith and to live by faith. So funny, one day she says to me, she goes, Tim, she goes, you're going to be very, she goes, I'm loving reading the Bible with you. And I'm going, oh, I think I'm the greatest disciple maker ever. Inside, I'm saying that. And she goes, yes. She goes, and I've got to tell you something. I said, what's that? She goes, I'm praying every night before I go to bed. She hasn't put a, become a Christian yet. I'm praying every night before I go to bed. I'm going, I'm going, I am amazing. I'm just so, she's so blessed to have me in her life. She goes, yes, St. Anthony is getting an ear bashing for me every night. Now, I've heard you, you people in Tamworth do some crazy things, but I assume you don't pray to St. Anthony 
we don't pray to St. Anthony down in Victoria. In that moment, you know what? I need to decide something. Do I correct her? Or do I celebrate that her radar was improving? Because St. Anthony is closer than the Easter Bunny. Amen? And so I went, that's awesome. And then four months later, she put her trust in Jesus. Four months later, my aunt. She's now, she doesn't come to our church. Turns out her her coffee shop barista is a church planter. So her, her, her barista is now her pastor. And they meet in his coffee shop. How cool is that? Because God was already at work. I just had to pay attention. Is that okay? Hey, would you guys stand with me? Please, please, please don't read my enthusiasm for I am an evangelist. I am not. Don't read the fact that one day I was brave enough or silly enough, depending on your perspective, to ask my aunt to read the Bible with me or Gav or Mark or other friends. Don't misread that for I'm an evangelist. I'm not. But what I've, what I've discovered is everybody gets to play, which includes you. I don't know what, where you're up to in life and faith. I don't know how lot this week has been travelling for you. But what I know is this, everybody gets to play. And so what I'd like to do just before we worship is I'd like to just pray for a few people. And my prayer is going to be this, that whatever God has done in me and through me, that He would do that in you and through you. Full disclosure, I'm going to also pray that He would surpass it in you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.